You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, played with the stock market a little bit? You maybe made some investments here and there. Just raise your hands if you've you know, done that kind of thing. All right, along the way, you just did some different investments and looked at that. How many of you have invested in a relationship that didn't work out? Okay, there are lots of us, right? How many of you uh, invested in a relationship and it has worked out? All right, good. That's good, That's good news as well. Um, any investment has risks, right? Whenever you invest, there's a risk. And there's kind of three rules of investments. And one of the rules of investments is uh, the greater the potential, the greater the risk. That's why a lot of people in there maybe dating, they get to a certain point and they realize the greater the investment, the greater the risk. That the, the risk of losing is, gets pretty big. Or you might do that with money. If it's a real you know, high return investment, it's going to be a greater risk. Like you have a higher possibility of losing what you've invested. The second rule is this. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. I can't tell you the number of times uh, people even call the church sometimes and say, hey, Pastor Dave, you did, I came across this thing, and I think if the church invested money, we could just like pay off the building because it's like guaranteed to come back. Guess what? If it sounds too good to be true, it is. We turn those opportunities down because, again, we, just, we understand the rules of investment. The third one is never invest money you don't have. If you don't have it, don't invest money. Don't you know, sacrifice what you're trying to do or take money on credit to be able to invest because if it all goes away, you're in a worse condition than when you started out. And you've got to know that failed investments and investment counselors uh, at times have caused, caused major divisions and real grudges among people. Because they promised you something, or you heard that they were promising something, and it just didn't work out. And, and there's, there is the healing of forgiveness. If you've been burned in relationship, if you've been burned financially, if you've been burned uh, in terms of any investment that you've made, even the investment of parenting and raising children, and maybe on the inside you feel a little bit burned. Because maybe the dividend you're kind of hoping to receive back right now isn't quite what you anticipated. I need to let you know that there is the healing of forgiveness. And it frees us. That's what forgiveness does. It, lets, it doesn't let the other person off God's hook. It lets us off of their hook. Because maybe for some of you, you're still on the hook of your child because you're feeling bitter toward them. Maybe you are on the hook of an investment counselor because you incurred a loss. Maybe you are on the hook of a relationship because it didn't turn out how you wanted it to. And there is healing of forgiveness, which is good. But if you've been burned, you also learn that you can't necessarily trust in financial investments. You can't, there's no guarantees about health or about families or about people or about football teams, right? Remember, I'm a Broncos fan. Uh, no, you know, uh, there's no guarantees about football teams. There's no guarantees about fortune cookies. When you look at investments, you just realize, hey, there's certain things I can trust, but there's other things I just simply can't. There's not guarantees. But today, we are going to talk about the only sure guaranteed investment that you and I can make. It's the investment of prayer in our time and energy. The only thing that benefits your time, that benefits your energy, and we're going to explore what that one true investment is. We're going to explore the way to invest, and we're going to explore the results of the investment. And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that prayer gives power to our activity. 
that prayer should precede our activity. That as we pray to God, his power comes along and does in us and changes us and through us what we couldn't do on our own. Prayer is amazing. Our culture is addicted to energy. We're always looking for some sort of power. But for some reason, we in America trust self-reliance over the power of prayer. It becomes easier for us to just be doers than prayers. And yet we would know, cognitively in our head, yes, I know that prayer would empower my activity. But oftentimes we turn to prayer as a last resort. We turn to it as the, the conditions get beyond what seems our control. Then we cry out, God, rescue me. Part of that is human, and God understands that. But part of it is we can just grab this investment truth today. That prayer empowers our activity. The benefits will help us truly keep up with the pace of life. Paul writes to give believers in Thessalonica energy, real power for their time of need. And if you have your Bible open to Thess 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes this. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and will protect you from the evil one. We have this confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful that you love us. As we were just singing there, God, that, that you died for our sins. You took our sorrows, our shame, our sin upon yourself on the cross. You were that man of sorrows. And God, you bore those sins, and praise be to God Almighty that you, Jesus Christ, you rose from the dead, conquering death, riping away our shame, bringing us into relationship with you. And so, God, today we're so grateful for that. Be our teacher as we explore your word and how to invest in you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at this passage, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3 is really the centerpiece of this passage. It is the diamond set in context, surrounded by prayer and surrounded by righteous living. And Paul is instructing these people, saying, listen, what we've talked about last week is you're under persecution, you're experiencing things. As there is, as he talked in the second chapter earlier on, that there is persecution, that there is an antichrist, that there is a powerful delusion in the world, that it seems like all the energy and all the power, all the motivation goes to the world, and it seems like they're having all the fun, they have the way to live, we're missing out somehow, that God basically just says, no, listen, all that power, all that energy has a warning label. And Paul now is instructing, listen, let me give you the best investment that you can make. Verse 3 again, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So what was Paul instructing? If you're taking notes today in your outline, the first point is this. God is both the source of our strength and the one who guards and protects us. See, the source of our strength is not ourselves. We think the source of our strength can be our resources. We think the source of our strength can be our own energy. We think the source of our strength can be what we can accomplish, but it's not. That's not the source. God's the source of your life. 
He's the one who keeps your heart beating. He's the one who keeps you breathing. He's the one who allows you to even be alive. He is the sustainer of life. Not only is he the author of life, the creator of life, but he's the one who keeps it going. And he's also the one who determines when life ends. He's God. He's the source of the strength that you and I need. But there's two words that I want to look at just a little bit. The first one is, he says, listen, the Lord will strengthen you. And the word strengthen means to establish it on the inside. And I want to give you a picture of that for a minute because what we need is we're saying, God, we need you to strengthen us. It doesn't mean make us stronger so we don't need you, God. It means do what you already have in yourself, God, we need what's outside of us. We need what is outside of us to come inside and be true inside of us. So God, we need what's true about you to be birthed inside of us. God, would you give us a gift? Would you plant us on the inside, make true of us what is true about you? Would you strengthen us? It's a source outside of ourselves. And when we come in prayer, that's what we're asking. God, not by my capacity, but by what's true in your nature, your character, your abilities, in who you are, your core, may that become true in me because it makes that true in the inside. It strengthens me. I need a source outside myself. Secondly, is he will protect. And the, the term there is phylaxe in Greek. And what it really means in the, in the original languages, it's to guard you like in a military sense, to put a military guard around you to protect you from assault. Now, you got to remember that in this condition, these people related to that. They were saying, listen, we, we have been persecuted. Paul is currently writing this letter from another city because they were persecuted under fear of assault and had to flee the city. And he's saying, listen, the Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will also protect you from assault. Now, by Paul leaving didn't necessarily protect him from assault elsewhere. It just meant he wasn't going to get assaulted in Thessalonica because he wasn't there. But as he went around and as the message of the Lord continued, Paul was still in danger of being assaulted. So here's a man who would say, God, make what's true about you strengthen in us, and God, put your protection around us. Sometimes God, protection around you means that he protects you to endure the assaults of those who persecute you and respond differently back, not out of the flesh, but out of God's strength. Well, God protects us in many ways. Let's talk about a couple of those ways that God protects us. For example, in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That there's this idea there that we can actually out loud resist what the devil wants, and it, he will flee from us. That's what Jesus did when he was tried and tested and tempted that when Satan came and tempted him, he responded, he resisted him with the truth of God's word, and the devil flee from him. He couldn't stick around. And that same authority that was true of God is true in you. But how often do you and I utilize God's word to resist the devil, to stand against him? You wake up in the morning and you've had a disturbing dream all night, and you got a choice. I'm going to let that disturbing dream ruin my day or I'm going to out loud take a stand against it and say, God's going to give me strength for the day. I don't have to believe 
what was fantasy. You have an experience in your life where you're facing something that's scary and you're beginning to live out of fear. And every time you face that, you just feel like, I don't have what it takes to face that again because it's so, I'm afraid. And you have a choice. I can either stand in faith that God will strengthen me, protect me, or I can choose fear. We have a choice. We can do that out loud. And there's a dual-fold-sided thing here. And James, he's saying, listen, don't get in fights and quarrels in chapter 4. He's saying in context, don't get in fights and quarrels where you just try to get what you want. He's saying submit yourselves to God. So he's saying, in other words, we're going to put ourselves under God's authority, under God's power, trying to say, God, I'm not going to do life my way. I'm not going to respond my ways anymore. I'm going to respond your way. I'm going to submit myself to you, and now I'm going to resist the devil. See, when I do it in my own power, it's not going to last. But he teaches us to be protected. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. God also protects us by bringing deliverance through prayer. Philippians 1.19, Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, he's been assaulted. He's being persecuted. But what he's saying is, through your prayers, through the investment you're making, what has happened to me, the bad things that have happened to me, will actually turn out for my deliverance. God protects us. Do you realize that sometimes rejection is really God's protection? Sometimes you got rejected from a school you wanted to go to, or you got rejected in a relationship, or you got rejected from a promotion, or you got rejected in one way or another. Maybe you're bitter about that, but sometimes... Rejection is really God's protection on your life. You don't know where your life would have gone, the people you would have interacted with, where the path of your life would go, but he does. And he wants you to understand that as bad as it feels right now, sometimes rejection is really my protection. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to submit yourselves to that? Are you going to put yourself under my the shadow of my wings. It's that picture of a mama bird gathering the babies around and being like, I will defend you, you know, to the death. Are you willing to put yourself under that? Or are you going to accuse me and be bitter toward me that life didn't work out or the investment you made didn't work out how you wanted it to? We can flee to him. He teaches us that we, through prayer, can be delivered So what do we do? Paul has been instructing that God is both the source of our strength, the one who guards and protects, but also that we are to trust in the Lord because he is faithful. God is faithful. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute because we hear that. Well, God is faithful, right? God is faithful. God is faithful. And you go, of course, God is faithful. But I want you to time out for a minute. How faithful are you? How faithful are you? How faithful are the people around you? How faithful has life been to you? See, our faithfulness goes up and down, right? We can look at good seasons and we can look at other seasons and go, ooh, I haven't been doing so good there. I haven't really been that faithful there. And we always want someone else to be faithful to us. 
But then we turn around and we look at our own life and we go, we got seasons of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. We have seasons where we are doing well to pursue a relationship with God and ones where we're maybe not doing so well. We have seasons where we are full of prayer and coming before the Lord and prayer is empowering our activity and is preceding our activity. And other times, seasons in your life when you go, I've been walking through a season where I've been prayerless. Right? But we look and we go, trust in the Lord. God is faithful. Let me tell you, whatever your situation is right now, this guarantee extends to you. No matter what you've done, where you've been, what you're currently doing, God is still faithful to you. If you've been unfaithful to him, he is still faithful to you. God is faithful. He loves you. He cares for you so deeply. You can take this this guarantee here and you can put it in the bank that God is faithful. And his word repeatedly shouts out this unchanging truth. 1 Corinthians 1.9, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Time and again in the scripture, it talks about the faithfulness of God. It's part of his DNA, if you will. It's part of his character. It's one of his attributes. It's part of what describes him. You could call God faithful as his first name. And it would be just as true as his name. He is faithful. So this week when temptation comes along or real tribulation hits you or your family, trust in God. He is faithful. See, unlike other investments, God is not frustrating. God is not disappointing. Life is frustrating. Even the most successful life has its share of frustrations. People are are disappointing, aren't they? We get disappointed by other people. But God is faithful. And while life may frustrate us, we realize that life is relentless. But God is good. He still is faithful. But what happens? We mistrust that God is faithful. So then we maybe try to test that. Well, God, I don't really trust that you're faithful, so I'm going to see if I can be a little bit unfaithful and see if you'll still be faithful to me. Like, I'm going to test, like, just how faithful to me you're going to be. Or maybe we get to the point where we say, God, you're faithful, apparently, but I don't really feel like you were there for me in a couple disappointing situations in life. And so I don't know how much I'm going to be there for you because I'm going to kind of try and guard and protect my heart. What do we do? We start playing very human games with a holy God who is faithful and just says, I love you. Be like a little kid who just gets disappointed by the protection of their parent and fusses a little bit before they come back to realize, no, my parent always had what was best in mind for me. God is faithful when life is disappointing. Let me just contrast that, though, with people who don't have faith. See, because God's faithful, and we have faith in who Jesus Christ is. We have faith in Almighty God. But let me contrast life with someone who has no faith. They have no protection. They are unguarded. 
It's all up to themselves. They're exposed. They're left open. They often resort to being completely unfaithful themselves because it's simply survival. See, when it's all up to you, there is a desperation that makes your actions come out. And a person who feels like it's all up to them, that they're in desperate circumstances, will react out of the flesh in ways that try to allow them to survive. And even then, life gives them no guarantees. And the church in Thessalonica was saying, how do we respond to this persecution? How do we find strength when we feel like we're beat down emotionally, mentally, physically, even in danger of being assaulted? imprisoned, or killed? Where's energy to endure life until you return, Lord? See, that's why self-reliance is really so dangerous. Self-reliance is so dangerous because we think it's all up to ourselves. We think, I can handle this, but the truth is, you can't. You can't handle it. If you could, you would have handled things a long time ago as we talked about through hurts and habits and hang-ups. You would be beyond the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups that you experience. But self-reliance is so dangerous because we put ourselves in position of being exposed. Or worse, we invest all of our resources, our time, our treasure, our talents, in the experiences or in the possessions of this world. And those go away all too fast, don't they? The possessions of this world, the experiences of this world, they have levels of disappointment. They have frustration in them, don't they? Have you ever bought a new piece of technology and realized that you couldn't figure out all how it works? That could be frustrating, right? It could be disappointing. Maybe you got something and you thought it had all these bells and whistles and you got it home and you found out it didn't have all those bells and whistles. It could be disappointing. You invested and the return wasn't what you expected. Maybe you went on an experience, you built it up in your mind, this would be the greatest experience ever, or we're going to go on this vacation, or we're going to you know, do this you know, wild and adrenaline-filled thing, and you got there, and you were like, that was great, but you had to come back to real life. Or along the way, you just took the chaos of what was happening in your family on the road show. You just took it on vacation with you, right? You're just the traveling roadshow of what was going on already at home. It didn't really give you the escape maybe you were looking for. It's got disappointment. It's got frustration. Self-reliance is dangerous because it says, God, I'm going to put my trust and my, my ability and my faithfulness on myself and not on you. And we step away from the Lord. But guess what? He loves you. And like a good father, a great parent, a good counselor, He's going to say, I remain unchanged in how I feel about you. I love you, and I'm going to keep drawing you to myself. See, the good news, though, is when we don't just try to survive, when we don't just try to be self-reliant, but we say, God, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to invest in your kingdom. I'm going to take time off of work. I'm going to go invest in students at Hume Lake, and I'm going to experience that. Or I'm going to, go, I'm going to invest my time, my treasure, my talents, serving with people I love, and nothing's more fun than that. And I'm going to invest getting up early on Sunday mornings to help out, as some of these people I was talking to this morning do on a regular basis, that that investment has a return, that you're, you're investing in God's kingdom. When we get on our knees and we pray and come before the Lord, he gives his power. That investment pays a dividend to us. 
and it empowers our activity and does more than we can ask or imagine on our own. The good news is when you and I invest in his eternal kingdom, we get a dividend in this life and heavenly reward. This life and the next. A guaranteed investment that will never perish, spoil, or fade as we're gathered together with the Lord in eternity. That's good news, that we actually can do stuff in this life that makes an investment in the future. So not only is God the source of our strength and the one who guards and protects us, not only do we trust in the Lord because he is faithful, but number three, we invest in God through prayer. What's the investment that we're going to talk about making today? One of the ways to invest in God is through prayer. Why? Because prayer gives power to our activity. Paul often asked for prayer to the church as he wrote from Rome. He prayed for continuing and extended ministry while he was there. To the church in Corinth, he asked for deliverance from death. To the church in Ephesus in chapter 6, he asked for words and boldness in preaching. To the church in Philippi, chapter 1, he asked for deliverance and strength. To the church in Colossae, chapter 4, he asked for an open door for his preaching. What's he doing? He's saying, please, please pray for me. Please pray with me. That God would give an open door to, the pre- to my preaching, that he would do all the things that he knows he can do, that he would remove the barriers that I'm facing, that he would protect me, that he would deliver me, that he would give me words, that he would give me boldness. Who's praying for you that you'd be bold in your workplace? Who's praying for you that you would have extended ministry? Are you praying for you? Are you investing in your spiritual life? Are you investing in God's kingdom? So Paul asked constantly for prayer, but in this passage to the church in Thessalonica, he is asking this. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 again. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. That's what he's saying. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. There's a couple terms there. One of them is spread rapidly. That basically he's saying it's this idea of running. That's what the word means if you do a word study on it. To spread rapidly means like it's like running. And a picture is the word of God. If you think of God's word, God's word is living. It is active. It is not just a, like a regular book that you read and you're like, oh, that was great. And you set it down and you just forget what you read. That God's word begins to plant something in us. It begins to change us. It's living and active. God's word is what we use to resist the devil and speak back to him when he gives us lies that we stand against him with truth. When he says God is, has had enough of you, you resist it and you go, God is faithful. We resist the devil. It's God's word. God's word is living. It's active. And it moves. And so the idea is not like a, a video on the internet that like goes viral for a little bit and then just kind of dies away and ebbs off, right? The idea is it's running. It's living and active. And this word of God is running all over the place. He's saying pray. Pray that the word, the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. That it may just run all over the place is what he's saying. That's one thing he's saying. Please pray for that transforming lives, giving real power, making a difference. But the second thing he asks is that it be honored. The message of the Lord be honored. And when people receive the good news and come to repentance, God is honored. So here's the picture. 
before your life and now during your life and even after your life, the word of God is running. It's going to be running. It has been running. It's going to continue to run. It's going to change people. It's going to change lives. It's going to transform people. It's living. It's active. And Paul is saying, listen, pray that that continues. Pray that it is honored by those who hear the word. He's saying, just as it was with you, in the same way that you have the capacity as a gift from God to respond to the truth of God's word, pray that that happens with others. It's not just receive salvation, and that's great. Now you're saved, and everybody else, well, it's up to them. No, pray that it would spread rapidly, that it would be honored. This week, we prayed that the message of the Lord would spread rapidly at camp and be honored by those who would hear. And God is faithful, and he has caused students to respond in amazing ways there. But let's pray that, that God's word would spread rapidly in Elk Grove. I want God's word to alarm Elk Grove. I want neighbors to get frustrated by just the expansion and the spread of God's word in Elk Grove. I want people to go online on Elk Grove Online and get all upset and mad because of the expansion of God's word because it spreads rapidly and it's running and it's being honored by those who hear it. I want it to make a great difference here and in the world. So how are you and I doing when it comes to prayer? Now, no guilt trips, okay? No guilt trips. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be a shame if you came to church today and you just didn't really pray much? Like you came to church today and you just didn't really encounter God? That would be a shame, right? Because when you come to church, it should be a time you can encounter God, you personally speaking to him, engaging with him. Today, I want you and I to have fresh motive and resolve to utilize and benefit from this spiritual investment and spiritual firepower in our lives. We get to the end. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. What's Paul saying? Verse 5 really is a prayer. When he says may, he's praying. He's saying may the Lord, here's my prayer, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Prayer is an investment. It's something we give to God. We are giving up prayer to God. We invest, but the dividend is that it empowers and energizes our activity and changes us to be more like him in the process. And Paul describes what happens when you and I invest in verse 5. He describes what happens when you and I invest in prayer. He says this, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So the more we pray, the more we love other people like Jesus loves other people. We get away from trying to love other people through religion, and we begin to love them in relationship and without judgment and reveal the truth of God to them. So what happens? I get changed when I pray. Last night I'm sitting at a wedding reception for a Vietnamese restaurant. Myself and one other couple were the only white people in the whole restaurant and there were probably 250 people there. It was awesome. I loved it. Just so good to just be able to be there and be mixing it up and just see culturally. I mean, we had a nine meal course you know, a nine-course meal for dinner. It was great. 
But in that time that here we are just at a wedding reception and God uses conversation at the table to the point where people are hungry for truth, they're hungry for stability, they're hungry for the, the Lord and that what could normally just be a celebration for my two friends who are my neighbors, last night turned into ministry opportunity just sitting around a table and talking to people I've never met before about the difference between religiosity or religion and what it means to have an authentic relationship with Jesus. We want the message to spread rapidly. We want it to move. We want it to be energized. But not only do you love more like Jesus loves and without judgment, but you persevere until your life is finished like Jesus did with the cross. What does he say? The Lord direct your hearts into God's love and then listen, Christ's perseverance. Let's unpack that for a minute. Think about how Christ persevered. When he's in the garden saying, God, if there's any other way, for us to forgive and save people other than me having to suffer and bear their sin and their shame on the cross if there's any other way I'll do it but not my will but yours be done look at his perseverance he persevered he endured the cross he went to the ends of his life to persevere in the midst of hardship because he could conquer death and out of love for you rose again. And so we give our lives and we persevere to the end. We make it to the end. We don't stall out somewhere along the way. We continue and if we stall out a little bit, we begin again. We persevere, we endure. If you become prayerless in your life, today is the day you begin again. And we're gonna give you opportunity to do that. We're gonna go to a time of communion. But before we do that, what I wanna encourage you to do is this. I want you to take some time and pray maybe at your seat. We also at the back of the auditorium, we have a prayer wall. It's just, you know, one of those rock walls in the back. And we've got pieces of paper back there and a table. Some of you, I would encourage you to go back as you go to get your communion elements, write down prayers on a piece of paper, fold it up, stick it in the wall. Later on, we'll have a prayer team agree with those prayers that you write. And we'll pray with you that what you're praying gets prayed for as well. So what I'm going to ask is, in just a few minutes, I want you to be able to get up and go pray to the Lord. At your seat, maybe you write it down, then you grab your communion elements, you'll come back to your chair. But I realize full well that there are people in the room right now who just, you don't know Jesus. If you prayed, you, didn't, you wouldn't know, would God hear you? Do you even know who he is? But today, what you've heard is that Jesus gave his life for your sin, and he loves you, and he's faithful to you when you've been unfaithful, and God would still extend to you the gift of eternal life, irrespective of your behavior, your past, your hurts, your habits, or your hangups. And if today you'd like to say yes to Jesus, then I'm going to ask as we go to a time of prayer where your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, just you're not disturbing anybody around you thinking about your own life, if today you'd like to say yes to Jesus, then simply pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I believe that you died on the cross. You took my sin and my shame and you owned it like your own. And that you're offering me eternal life and the gift of forgiveness. So today, God, I say yes. Please forgive me. Please clean my sin, make me white as snow. I ask you to give me your Holy Spirit and come into my life and make me a new creation. 
And God, I believe that you rose from the dead and you conquered sin and death and that you, Jesus, are God. So today I'm saying yes, not to my power, but I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.